Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur's Start Here podcast. Really means a lot that you're joining us once again. Today we're talking to another impressive college pro alumni, Alex Rizzuto. So Alex uh, actually earned his bachelor's in biblical studies, uh, originally intending a career as a pastor. But after graduating, he shifted his focus to business. So that led to four years as a college pro franchisee and a total of seven business ventures in seven years. Some which were, I guess, educational workshops, as he describes them. Uh, rental marketplace tech startup and currently a uh, software development agency so really excited to hear about all the different startups all the different businesses he has is his superpowers team building and creating a shared vision to accomplish the impossible and that's i guess something that uh, that he's definitely done here so really excited to hear about that and to take you guys through the uh, the journey entrepreneurs start here helps you bridge the gap between now and what is next we embrace taking action and leaning into your community to grow. Explore the ins and outs of being an entrepreneur and what it takes to truly start through candid interviews with innovators like you. This is the Entrepreneur's Start Here podcast. All right, Alex Pizzuto, welcome to the Entrepreneur's Start Here podcast. Fantastic. It is so good. I've always wanted to be on like a post-college pro like alumni podcast one day. I was like, oh, it actually was one of my goals if I'm I'm being completely honest. (laughs) I'm very honored that you guys invited me. I was waiting for my college to call me back the past 10 years. Um, (laughs) Glad to provide the opportunity. That's what we're that's what we're all about. Good thing they started a college pro podcast, I guess, then if that was one of your goals. Yeah, I mean, I was originally aiming for how I built this, but you know, you got to work your way out. Uh, so. yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> rise, you'll, for a lot of people. Yeah, you'll, you'll, get there. you'll get there. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe I could be on the how you built that section at the very end. It's like, just get like two minutes, um, but uh, like, give me listened. give me five more years. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one in a while. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe that's a good one to aspire to. That'll be your next goal, the next next level now that you've been- I mean this is fantastic because I, I I love reconnecting with like the alumni group I even tried connecting with some here in Halifax but uh we don't really have any um yeah. <laughs> and so I tried reaching out to the student works painting as they never went back to me so it's their loss yeah well glad to have you on um it's yeah it's been really cool to interview some alumni and I'm, I'm particularly excited to hear how you've been uh since we haven't spoken in a little little while don't know what you're up to out east so I'm very excited to hear what you're what you've started and yeah what you're working on right now sounds like a little project definitely uh, ready to do some interrogation here yeah <laughs> all right all right master torturer here Owen uh, <laughs> like how he does he's a little he's a little sick today so everybody excuse Owen's uh nasally voice it's all the more intimidating but we'll say we'll, we're not gonna say nasal we're just saying it gravelly Gravelly. Yeah, nasally doesn't sound very intimidating at all. <laughs> like Kermit the Frog or something over here. We'll go with that. So Alex, can you tell us about your story? Just a little bit about you and where you grew up and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, similar to you, Quentin, I've moved a lot. Um, so I think I remember hearing on your mention that you moved something like 20 or 30 times, something like that. Yeah, 25. Um, yeah, I, I moved 27, so sorry. <laughs> so, I guess it depends on what you consider a move. But yeah, we're, we're kind of in the same boat there. Um, I used to be able to say I've moved as many times as I've been alive. I'm a little bit older than that now. Um, 
but uh, originally born to St. Ontario. Um, we kind of moved from there about the time I was eight and then we moved around uh, Alberta. I uh, lived in towns as small as a thousand and as big as a million, so Edmonton. But I spent most of my time in Lethbridge. Um, this kind of came home from the time I was about 12 on with a brief stint in Edmonton. And then I went to college in Saskatchewan uh, for four years. Um, and then I, after I got, came back, I got married. And then my wife's from Cranbrook, British Columbia. So I spent a lot of time out there as well. Um, and then more recently, I moved out uh, here to Nova Scotia just last year in Halifax. So I've now lived. Oh, and then I've spent most summers in Windsor, Ontario, visiting my family there. So I've kind of four or five provinces, however you want to count that. Um. I always loved moving around. I think there was a few moves that were really like, I did not want to go, but I was, you know, 10. So I had to go along with the flow. But I think it, I think it builds a lot of resiliency and built some <laughs> character. So I don't know if you feel the same, but I was really happy, like looking back that I moved so much. You're, you're right. Like it gets you used to change and being really good at handling change, which is a very entrepreneurial characteristic. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that contributed a little bit. So I guess in terms of the Entrepreneur Start Here podcast, we want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. So when would you say that that started? I, I guess I was a late bloomer. Uh, I was not selling ice cream cones at the age of five. Uh, surprisingly, my wife did that and she never went into business. Um, she would steal flowers out of mom's garden and go around selling in the neighborhood. Uh, but, uh, um, no, I, I actually never thought I'd go into business. Uh, so it wasn't until I was about 23 or I was, I think it was when I was 22 that I finally considered just after I graduated with my bachelor's in biblical studies, obviously not really business related. Um, I planned on working in nonprofit, like churches, being a pastor. Um, and that, uh, that was what I thought was my career path. And, but when you graduate, when I graduated, I was offered a job to be a pastor at a really small town in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, pastoring a bunch of 80-year-old people. And I was like, how am I going to add any value to, as a 21-year-old kid, um, to all these people that are four times my age? And that's going to be really boring for me. And so it was between that, continuing education, and heading back home and pursuing a girl I kind of liked. So I chose that one. Um, which is now my wife. Um, but in the midst of that, I was working a summer job, injured myself, couldn't do it anymore, and had to kind of go back to the drawing table. And I was assessing, like, I, I want to propose, I want to get married, um, but she's in school and she's going to be in school for a couple more years. And that means I'm probably going to have to pay for things. So I need to make money. And I tried applying. Wendy's, Staples, and, and then a whole bunch of other things, like everywhere. Everywhere. Like I a Staples guy, actually. Thank you. Yeah, I, I could staple things. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even get an interview anywhere. And I'm like, either something's wrong with me or I'm unhirable or what. I was going to depression. I'm like, what's going on? But I ended up meeting with a mentor of mine. And for a long time, he'd been kind of more like a spiritual mentor. Like, he's my best friend's dad. And I went to like his Bible study and stuff. Um, but as we were praying together about it, it's like we both kind of heard at the exact same time, like, you've got to go into business. Like, wait, what? It's like, I don't know anything about business. Like, I grew up in poverty, single mom. Um, 
we barely had enough money to, I, could, I had to drop out of soccer to can afford cleats. Like, I don't know how anything about money, let alone business. Uh, and then it turns out, I didn't realize this, but he was actually an international businessman. Um, he had started taking multiple companies public, had hundreds of employees. Um, so it kind of became a rich dad, poor dad scenario, uh, which was the first book he got me to read, um, which was life-changing. Um, so it was at that time that I started considering it. And kind of the first thing I did was, you know, what skill do I have um, that I could start a business with? And the only job I really knew besides, besides some building playgrounds, which didn't work out and I sucked at, because uh, so I had started painting fresh right, right out of high school. Um, my mom was a painter. I worked for painting in the summers. Um, and so when I eventually discovered College Pro, um, about a year later, uh, working for them, I was like, oh, this is kind of like that perfect intersection because I tried running my own painting company and just wasn't going anywhere. I just could barely get enough work for myself, let alone grow it. Uh, so that's kind of how that got started. Uh, so obviously talking to a lot of alumni, one thing I'm always curious about is what the, uh, the beginning stages of that uh, college pro career looked like. I mean, you said you didn't know too much about business at the beginning. Uh, was it a tough transition or did you take to it pretty naturally once you were running a franchise? Yeah, I... I had kind of had like some heads up that I might be going into it. So I think I wasn't as shocked as other people when they started. But when I, um, cause I, I was a painter the summer before, but when I was interviewing for it, um, the guy I interviewed, his name is Ian. Um, he's like, you know, Alex, I think you have the potential to take over this franchise. I'm planning on moving next year. Um, would that be something you'd be interested in? If so, kind of like let you be part of some of that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I would be, that'd be amazing. Um, because the interview actually ended up turning out to us basically hanging out with his friends. It didn't even, wasn't, didn't feel like much of an interview afterwards. And he never had that happen before. So it was great. Uh, I love Ian. We're still friends now. But um, yeah, so I had like this summer in advance where I was thinking about that. And I was, while I was painting, I was listening to like four to eight hours of audiobooks and podcasts a day, trying to learn as much as I could about business. Because uh, painting's pretty mindless if you know what you're doing. Um, so that yeah, I had a lot of prep and I worked in the in the as a painter in college pro. So the next step from when I by the time I got to starting college pro, the main thing I was learning was um, the estimating process, the um, cold calling, um, and the estimating and the sales came pretty naturally. Uh, the the cold calling was not so fun, but pushed through. I think my very first time cold calling, which I begrudgingly did after my coach insisted I go out, even though it was minus 25 in January uh, or December. I can't remember. I, I got sick, like big, probably because I was out. And so then I couldn't cold call for a week because I was sick, even though the weather got better right afterwards. Uh, so, um, but yeah, that wasn't the best. But at the same time, it was, um, I had a blast right off the get go. Um, Again, because I had kind of that transition. Also, I, I was 23 by the time I started. So it didn't feel like I wasn't as immature. I'd already done lots of leadership type of stuff um, in up until that point. I had started a drama group after I started high school. I was a youth leader for like five years. I um, would do preaching on occasions and a whole bunch of random stuff. So for me, that stuff is easy. Communication is easy. Uh, I'd say the biggest thing that was the stretch was more the financial management and like the accounting uh, and even just like getting that sales and the marketing process down effectively 
I had a pretty low SR in my first year, actually. I think I only had like 29 or 30% and the average was supposed to be 40. Um, and so, but I worked my ass off. Um, and so I, I did, I think a couple hundred uh, estimates and in, in painting, they're typically like an hour or two. Um, but just did more than any other rookie that year. And that's how I pushed through. So. And how long were you with College Pro? Uh, four years. So 2016 to 2019. Okay. So I was part of the last batch. Yeah. Yeah. One of the last. And then when that came to an end, were you already thinking like, okay, I'm going to move into something else where you, did you have ideas of what you wanted to do? Cause I know you said you had a bit of a, like an epiphany that you were wanted to go into business and started taking mm -hmm. steps that way. So what was the, what was the transition between those two? Yeah. I, I mean, just because of the way college pro is structured, I knew full well that this was set up to be a more of a launching pad, like, you know, it's entrepreneurs start here. Right. Um, so uh, this is a learning process, but I knew I wouldn't want to do this forever. And I also knew like I needed some guys that had been doing it for quite a while. Um, Ian, who came before me, did it for like six or seven years. Um, and he was a legend. Um, he holds the all time record uh, 680,000 in one year. Um, so like as far as that goes, like I knew people could make a lot of money, but I was looking at when I was actually thinking about it, I'm more of a visionary. I'm like, well, what's like my, my 10, 20, 50 year goal. And I'm like, well, I don't want to still be, I like, I like running a business, but I don't like painting. Um, and painting doesn't really scale. So I said, how can I, you know, I set some goals. I'm like, you know, I would like to be able to give away um, 99% of my income, um, still look comfortably. So I need to make at least $20 million a year. Um, can I do that with painting? No. Uh, so, uh, I started thinking about it by year two and I started toying with ideas. And so by the time year four came around, I actually planned the entire year as a transitionary year. So I tried to run my business super lean, um, make as much profit as possible. Um, and I was working on a tech startup at the same time and another company as well. So I had three companies going at the time, seeing which of them would sprout enough to take on afterwards. So it just so happened that College Pro shut down the same year I planned to end, but I was already planning on quitting. Uh, and so by the time it did shut down, I went full all in on my tech startup. All right. And tell us about your tech startup. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, in this unique case, uh, you guys might not know this, but Quinton was actually part of it. So she, uh, she did come in, <laughs> so she, she was part of that process. She had equity in the company. Um, not that the company really went anywhere, um, but it was a, uh, it, it was a blast. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I think it was the type of thing that in theory had incredible amounts of potential. Um, but one, figuring out the tech problem like there, there's there's something called technical risk so when you're working on tech startup how do you overcome the barriers of actually creating this technology which was significantly more difficult than we expected at the time um which as you will chat about later isn't the case anymore um but that was really complicated and then just for, and then the even bigger question that will come later on is um product market fit or like does the business model work um and we had assumed that if we could solve the technical problem that the business model would work uh, and, you know, we grew the team by the time College Pro ended and we did our big breakout events. I got to go up and share about what we were doing. And then 
uh, about several ex-college football people joined the team, including Quinton, uh, friends like Kent Madden, Michael Baldwin, um, Colton Steed. And so like there was a bunch of us working on this together uh, and the team grew even further from there, Kean Devachi, uh, window cleaning, uh, and it actually grew to about 10 of us. And we thought we have this amazing team, we have this amazing idea, we're gonna do great. And we got into an accelerator and we, we had an MVP built. And then all of a sudden our CPO quits and our two developers quit with them because they didn't know what to do without him. So we have this half baked piece of technology that doesn't really make any money. People can sign up and list items, you can't rent anything. So there's no way to make money on it. Um, so we're like, how are we gonna validate this? Do people actually want to use this? And then COVID, like a month later. And so we completely shut down. And at that point, I've been living off of my savings, fully expecting that by the time the accelerator ended, we'd be able to raise money. We'd have enough proof that we'd get paid, that we'd be making money and be able to grow and accelerate the company. And a couple of years later, it's history. But with all that, I'm like, okay, we're I'm going to go bankrupt. <laughs> so that's, that's most of what I was looking at at that point. Um, don't know what to do here. How, how are we gonna make any progress on this? Is, is the company doomed? Um, how am I not gonna go broke? So that was very stressful. Um, but it's in the midst of that, that we, I discovered something called low code, um, which is the ability to code without actually having to code or having to know how to code. Um, so I was able to rebuild, what took our three developers um, three months to build. I rebuilt by myself for four weeks. So. And it was even better and it could actually accept transactions. And with that, I was like, oh. And at that point, COVID had died down enough that um, we were able to reconsider launching. So later that year in August, so all this stuff is happening back in February. Now we're in August. We, are, we, we do a pitch competition at the end of the accelerator, uh, get a bunch of investors interested, win first place in the pitch competition. We push our app live. Uh, we get a grant funding and we start, we had $20,000 in marketing and we start growing. And by, by January, we had grown to 500 users. Um, our listings on the platform are doubling every month. We were in three cities, um, but we'd only had four transactions. And so we had made a sum total of $20 after spending 20 grand on marketing. <laughs> And it was at that point that I realized, like, this isn't going anywhere. No one actually uses this. We spent all this time and money building this, marketing it, um, but no one actually wants to use it. And sure, you could blame it, blame COVID on it, but where we were, most people didn't really care. And even if COVID reduced our transactions by 90%, that would still only be $200. Well, it's still 1% return, or sorry, 99% loss. Um, so we knew, we kind of knew like we have to either pivot or fail or go under. So we managed to pivot the product really fast. We were in a second accelerator, we pivoted it. Um, and that time we like leaned down, um, we kind of made the tough decision to ask several people to kind of step back, including um, we had hired, we brought on uh, a former, I don't think I should technically say his name um, just because it was never official um, public knowledge. Uh, but one of the original people at Skip the Dishes um, who held a very high role in the company, uh, he was helping us grow. Um, we had to let him go because the pivot that we were doing didn't apply to him anymore. 
uh, and ended up just going down to just myself and one other guy from College Row named Alex Mills. And the two of us worked together, um, two Alex's, rebuilt the product, repositioned it, uh, and launched it. And on the very first day, uh, we did $120 with $0 in marketing. And so what took us three years, we did redid in three months using everything that we had learned. It was incredible was learning. Pivot? Sorry, I'm curious about what, how you guys you adjusted that for, for growth. Yeah, so what we realized is what people, what people didn't want to rent stuff from other people because it just wasn't convenient. It wasn't that bigger, that much better of an option to just go buy something new or go to an existing rental place that they already trusted. So people didn't care. But what was doing really well, we saw secondhand markets were exploding uh, in the midst. So Kijiji, Craigslist and OfferUp, um, LetGo, these things were growing like crazy. So we said, let's get in on that, but let's get in on a specific segment of that that doesn't require us to build a marketplace because the marketplace is really difficult because you have to kind of balance this chicken and egg supply and demand. It's really difficult to get a, kind of a, a functional survivable rate for that. So we said, what if we found a way to plug into that and target their top customers? So we built a bulk reselling tool called Resale that allowed people to list items seven times faster and to do online payments um, with deposits and, and just make it a really seamless process. Because if, if you were having a garage sale or you were doing a moving sale uh, or an estate sale, uh, we did the math and it actually takes an average about five minutes to upload every single item. So if you're trying to sell a hundred things, that's like, four to six hours just to list your stuff. Nobody wants to do that. At the same time, people weren't going out in person as much and didn't want to go to garage sales. So we said, what if we could take these online by getting rid of that hurdle? And it had a lot of potential. And we ended up, I think we did about $300 in revenue that first month, no marketing at all, um, which was a big step up. But then we, at the same time, I, in order to not go broke back in the summer previous, I had started a development company using this local technology that I discovered. Um, and while I made 300 bucks after that pivot and all that effort, um, that at that time, uh, our that local company that I had started, which is a service model company, just like College Pro, um, not even a year in, that had already grown to eight staff and $25,000 a month in revenue. So I was like, well, which do I wanna put my effort into? I tried running three businesses at a time and none of them succeeded very well. I should really just pick one. And at that time, I thought going on the development route had far more opportunity and far more potential than trying to work on another tech startup that who knew, who knows when it's gonna make me money whereas this thing was already doing it. So I went all in on that. Um, we kind of let the, the apps kind of sit. And it was a couple months later that we actually got an offer uh, for those to be acquired. Um, so we didn't make any crazy amount of money, but it paid off all the debt that went into building them. Um, and they took on Alex Mills as their COO. So he's now working full-time for them, growing their company. That company is now valued at 5 million and will probably valued at about 10 million later this fall. Um, so a very similar space to what we were doing, but they actually found a way to make the business model work and took more of a SaaS approach instead of the marketplace approach. Um, and I got a small amount of equity in their company as an advisor. Uh, and then our all in uh, having a failed tech startup where you don't have any debt is actually not that bad. <laughs> so they call it a soft landing. 
Oh, not to take you on an aside, I'm kind of curious about this uh, low code thing you keep bringing up. I, I'm not familiar with the concept. Yeah, so that's now become, that's now what I do full time. So we just celebrated our, our two year birthday last week for that. On the two year birthday, we sold our millionth dollar, which was uh, a oh. blast for us. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, so at this point, we're a team of 16 people. Um, several, a couple of us are ex college pro as well. Um, and our main value proposition is that we can build um, custom software solutions for startups and businesses five times faster than anyone else can. Um, and we can do it all while being 100% based in Canada. You're not outsourcing to another country. Um, and so this means that businesses that formerly didn't have access or they, they couldn't afford or they or didn't have any internal tech talent, um, you know, they were, they were missing out on being able to innovate digitally and adapt. Um, and there's so much available profit out there and available productivity and even available like industry leadership if you can find a way to apply technology to revolutionize your business. And so our specialty is being so far ahead of the curve on what is available in technology. Like you've never heard of low code, right? So we've been doing this for two years. We're considered the experts. <laughs> That's how new it is. Um, and so we help companies increase productivity increase profitability and gain industry leadership uh, without having to pay even the price of a, a full-time CTO. So we're essentially become like a CTO for hire or internal technology partner and advisor, uh, having access to our entire technical or entire development team, design team, and able to transform businesses. So we kind of have the software development for startups and businesses and this uh, fractional CTO for hire side. And that's Stasher. That's Stasher, yeah. So how did Stasher, so you, you initially started it to make money for, the, for Rent Ridge. I'm just like, I need to make money. I'm going broke. <laughs> so. And, and so how did you start? So did you just approach a business and say, hey, I have this way of doing whatever you're trying to do quicker. Do you want me to give it a shot? And then it went really well and you got some referrals. Like how did that boom so much? when you were yeah. intentionally trying to grow that one. Well, I was really risk averse after Rentbridge bombed out. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I need something that's for sure gonna work. Yeah. Um, so I like, I'm like, I'm pretty good at this. I've been doing it for two months for Rentbridge already uh, or even three months at that point, I can't remember. And then I was like, well, they seem to have, um, there was these forums. And I noticed that sometimes on the forums, some of the existing agencies on the platform were looking for help. So I said, I'm not going to spend a dollar on marketing. I'm just going to go to one of these guys. I'm going to try building a project, see how it goes, and make a, make a quick buck. Because um, I know I could probably charge at least 50 or 60 bucks an hour and let that sustain me. Um, the first project that I get given to is the number one agency on there. Um, and we really clicked. And he's like, you know what, Alex? We don't like taking small jobs. So here's this one. He gives it to me. is a $25,000 job. So coming from the world of, you know, two and a half thousand dollar average job size college for painters, um, all of a sudden it was 10x and he said it was small. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll take this. Um, immediately hired back on our previous developers. And so I was really able to get started without any risk because I saw the, the demand was there right away. Um, and then from there, when we signed up as an official agency in order to actually build, which you have to do on, on that platform, um, I then I didn't realize this, but they get requests for proposals and requests for building 
every single week and they get emailed to the agency. So all of a sudden we had 30 or 40 leads coming in every week that I could contact. And because of my experience in college pro, I was way better at sales than everybody else. And I was able to win all the best ones. Um, and so within a very short period of time, we had grown from just myself um, to a year later, 15 people. Um, and I was doing just sales and, and some management and we're the, all this stuff is happening. We're building these projects, but I didn't have to do, spend a dollar on marketing. Uh, I didn't have to worry about whether there was demand because the demand was so strong. I couldn't keep up hiring and training. So that's incredible. It's when you have a really good value proposition because you have this new technology that completely breaks that whole cost, time, customer service paradigm. It's like actually because of technology, we can give you better service, better cost, and better time. People are pretty excited to work with you. <laughs> so. And this from a guy who you took, you have a degree in Bible studies? Biblical studies. Biblical studies? Oh, yeah. yeah. Basically, so, theology. Yeah. Show some respect with it. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, okay, biblical story of Bible. Um, I, what I'm trying to say is you don't have a computer science degree, right? And you're, you have this no. tech. I, I've, I've always been pretty tech savvy. I used to build video games for fun uh, in high school, um, but I never like actually learned much code at all. So I still don't know how to code. I just hired people that were smarter than me. <laughs> they figured it out. <laughs> Kind of like extract like a lesson here. I don't know. You 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 jumped out on a wing and tried something like high risk, high reward, didn't work out, and you know, just like what is it? The, I mean, obviously, like a huge success story, really switching to to stationer. I'm, I'm kind of curious about what what lessons you take away from that. What would you what would you recommend to to entrepreneurs who are just starting out? Like, I mean, it's a pretty cool story. Right? Like, you just saw yeah. the opportunity and you were flexible and you took it. Or? Well, you're, you're talking about risk management here. You said high risk, high reward. I actually said this is low risk, high reward. Um, and that's why I thought it was a good opportunity because I don't have to spend a dollar marketing. Um, worst case scenario, I make a decent money and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, but the reward was if this does work, then this could be a very profitable business model that easily, you know, College Pro as a service model was struck. I can only do so many estimates because the average job size is so big. Well, if, if all of a sudden my average job size is 10 X the size, but all the other margins still work out the same, then all of a sudden I 10 X my business without having to do any extra work. So I actually do less sales now than I did before. Um, and we are trending hundred K a month now. Um, but because the jobs are so much larger and when you get a team going that manages itself and works really well, and, and I'm not going to say this is easy. Like we, we've got 150 grand in loans that have taken out just to survive uh, because the growth pains that you go through and all of a sudden, like this was working when we were small, but when we got bigger, the, the stuff that got you here doesn't, it won't get you there. So we realized we were bleeding money and our processes weren't working and we had to change things around. Uh, so it's been a lot of learning to get to this point where we're actually profitable and growing and having consistent systems. But initially, when I started, when it was just me, it actually seemed like really low risk and really high reward potential. And the further side that I didn't even mention was, if you have a, rap, a rapid app development, rapid software development company, so how we class it to ourselves, rapid software development company, if we even have 10% of our time available or flexible, that means we can rapidly build our own software, our own tech startups, with while gaining a whole bunch of experience building for other people so we can become kind of an internal startup studio 
that I can pump out startups as fast as we want. So we're just starting work on our first one now. But the goal was build a startup creation machine that was profitable. So we never have to take out investor money. And we become really good at working with startups. That's very cool. What's your uh, startup for them? I Probably. can't tell you that yet because we haven't decided. Uh, We're in the ideation stage. I am curious what what is an example if you can think of one that did work when you guys were smaller and you had to adjust because um, it wasn't, I guess, profitable as you scaled. Yeah. So one example was um, I, I'd say the, the biggest well, the biggest thing that was the biggest problem was um, management. When I was small, I could do sales and manage the projects, mostly make sure they get done properly in the time. So when we only had three or four staff, easy. But when all of a sudden we were at 10 developers and it was just me and I was trying to do sales and manage, I'm a really like hands-off person. So unless I'm very independent, it doesn't work. That's my leadership style. Um, projects weren't getting done in time. So it kept getting further and further behind and clients aren't being happy. And our developers weren't confident knowing what they were doing. So they actually just weren't doing stuff at times or they work on the easy stuff and save the most complicated, riskiest things for later, which would cause problems. So by not, not having that management layer that was able to pay close attention, it almost sunk the, comp almost sunk the company. Um, and that's where we started losing money. Uh, it was really scary when in February, we had a negative $40,000 profit month. Sorry lost month uh, um, this past February. We're like, oh, this isn't working. And we'd already known that, but that was like kind of the peak of it. And we'd already been starting to change it. We're like, okay. But the problem is, is we, our sales cycle can take months and then the build cycle can take like a month or two. Um, and so if you make a change now, you might not see the benefits until three or four months later. And so it was really difficult. And that's why we kind of had to take the risk and say, I'm going to take out $150,000 loan because if I succeed, then our company is profitable to the tune of twenty dollars to $40,000 a month right away. And that money will get paid off in a couple of months. And then we're doing super good. If I fail, then I go bankrupt and I just start over. And whatever, I sold my house already. I don't miss anything. <laughs> Sounds like so, you have experience with that. So you're, <laughs> you're fine with going back to that space. Sounds like some yeah. balls over there. <laughs> I was like, whatever. It was like, um, that, that was kind of a low risk, high reward. Yeah, sounds very low risk. <laughs> yeah, that's an in I'll just go bankrupt. I already sold the house. So, yeah, yeah low risk, high reward. Yeah. Interesting right. definition of low yeah, risk. Yeah, I think what we're really learning about is your like psychology, not, not the low risk. <laughs> low <reward. laughs> yeah, I mean, we wrap it up. Yeah, I guess just the one other thing I'm curious about is for people who have a business that they're looking to get funding for. I know you have experience with that. So how difficult was it to get investors on board with you and how did you approach that? Most inventors or investors, sorry, most investors nowadays want to see traction before they give them money, especially in Canada. Canadians are more conservative as investors. Um, if you're heading down to the States, San Francisco, Boston, New York, you might, you might be able to get money with a really good, um, idea, presentations, you can tell a good story, uh, and maybe you have like a wireframe prototype or something. Um, I would say once you make a couple of connections, it's not that hard to meet investors. But I like to, I wanted to ask myself a question this way. It's like, would I invest in this? 
And a good way to ask that was, am I willing to potentially go broke and live off my life savings in order to invest in this? And if I am, then should, or if I'm not, should I expect someone else to invest in that? And kind of proof of that is, do you have a working business model where you're actually making money? Um, the, the word for that when you're, when you're growing is traction. Do you have traction? Mm-hmm. And sometimes investor, sometimes if they can see that you have like five customers uh, or five letters of, of intent, if it's a, a something that would, would maybe require a, a long cycle to actually build, um, then they might be willing to give you money. If you have $2,000 in revenue, that may seem super tiny, but if they can see the potential, then they're willing to invest. But ultimately, investors invest in a replicable model, and they also invest in people that have had a successful track record. So if you successfully run a painting company, a window cleaning company, a landscaping company, and they can see that you've got this experience, they're far more likely to trust. Um, That being said, I chose not to raise money. I chose to get grant money. I chose to try to build a profitable system from the Mm -hmm. get-go. One, because I want to own everything. I don't want to have to be at the whim of investors. Yeah. and two, because I felt it was more genuine to not um, kind of bluff or, or tell a story if, if it wasn't actually going to work, which in Rentbridge, it didn't actually work. So I'm glad I didn't lose anyone with that. Um, whereas um, the company that bought Rentbridge, they had already raised money. Um, they had already had a little bit of, tra- they had managed to get just enough traction, about $2,000 a month. Um, and they were able to raise money and grow to the point where they've now raised $350,000. Um, they've grown, they're about to raise it like a million dollar round. Um, but at this point, they actually only have five paying customers because they completely started over because they said long-term, this isn't going to work. And so they completely started over. But at this point, even though they've been really good at telling this story, they have a really incredible story, which is why people would believe in them investing. In Unless they get traction at this point, no one's going to do that. Mm-hmm. The traction is the number one, but number two is can you tell a good story and be someone that's trustworthy and that they believe in? Awesome. And get free money from the government. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. when you said grant money. That was like right on top of it. Sure Quinn knows I like my grant money. Uh, oh, yeah. I've gotten yeah, like 100K in grant money. Your middle, yeah. your middle name. <laughs> can, you, can you go into the details of the, uh, the programs that you used and that sort of thing? Yeah, so best grant money um, that you're going to get is typically around hiring. Um, so there's lots of grants to hire um, students, to hire young people under 30, uh, especially in tech roles uh, or in like sustainability roles. Um, lots of grant money to do that. We regularly take advantage of uh, the Digital Skills for Youth Grant, which allows us to, which covers 100% of the salary of um, someone who's under 30 for six months. Um, so we take, we've done that four or five times now um, at a, at a larger, more business focused level. Um, there's often grants available from 10 to $25,000 more locally and provincially. Um, if you've already can kind of show what you're working on, but they're a lot more difficult to win. Um, so when it comes to that, ultimately, if you have something that's actually genuinely good and you can kind of build up a, a really simple version and get a, a bit of traction with it first, then sometimes just getting a business loan is worth it. Um, it's really easy to get $100,000, up to $100,000 in the BDC, um, low interest rate, and they just give it to you if you've got even a decent idea and some experience. Um, so that's relatively easy. But ultimately, the thing is, before you go for a loan, 
um, before you hire on a bunch of people with grant money, you just still have to pay them to start. You have to have something that's worth building um, and worth investing in. And that's so that's where for us building that being a startup studio, we, the first thing that we actually built was a systematized process of how to go from day one to your first hundred customers. Um, so we kind of built out this detailed process. Here's everything you need to do. Here's all the examples. Here's the process to go through. And so now we have a way to, to replicate as fast as possible this process for ourselves and to be able to give that to our to the people that we work with. Awesome. Some great information. We'll wrap it at that. Maybe we'll have to catch up offline sometime. Sounds like you're doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I'd love to drink your your brewery stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> Hopefully they uh, have like the carbonation this time. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> a bit of a dud, but I won't uh, I won't subject you to that. Bring, um, bring some to Halifax next time you're down. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do a drink with your own beer. It'd be great. That sounds great. Yes, thank you, Alex. It was really good to chat. And uh, let us know, I guess, where people can find you if they want to reach out. Uh, yeah, for, uh, stayshare.com, uh, sure with an H, because I spelled it wrong as a kid and the domain is available. Um, so stayshare <laughs> with an H. And... Uh, LinkedIn is is our main spot where we're active. Um, it's the business community, right? That's uh, where people that we primarily work with. So either directly on our website or on LinkedIn. It's great. Awesome. Thank you so nice much. Nice meeting you. I guess a little bit like that. It's very cool to hear your story. Hopefully we can have you on again. Talk Fantastic. About details. See you guys. See you. Yeah.